like to tell you about a friend of mine. Uh, I had the privilege of presiding over her funeral last August. Uh, this lady was really neat. She was really special. She was very sweet and kind, a little ornery. Her name was Kathy, uh, Kathy Seitzinger. And uh, Kathy was uh, an amazing lady. Uh, she was uh, blind, um, but she never let it hinder her. She never let it stop her. Uh, she served as president of the Lake County uh, Association for the Blind. She was, she was really cool. She was funky. Um, she had a great sense of humor. Uh, and she was just awesome. Uh, uh, and, and here's the thing. If you know her husband, Bob, you know that Kathy was a saint. I'm sorry for those of you who don't know Bob. Bob was ornery, is 10 times as ornery as Kathy. And uh, Bob's a great guy, very, very fun to be around, uh, loves the Lord. Kathy loved the Lord. She was, she was awesome. I really, really loved Kathy Seitzinger. And when I was thinking about today's passage, when I was thinking about today's miracle that we're going to talk about in a little bit, when I was thinking about this passage, uh, Kathy came to mind. And I was thinking about her funeral service that we had here last August. And uh, she, we had, we, at the very end of the service, we played a recording of her singing Amazing Grace. And it was really neat. Uh, you know the, the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And so we had this recording of Kathy singing this song, and she sang it in her own way, in her own little ornery way. She changed the words. And so she sang, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I uh, was blind, and I still can't see. And it was so funny, it was so sweet, and we had a great service for her that day. We celebrated her life and all the, that she meant to everybody, and, and people got up and spoke, uh, told wonderful stories, and, and it was just a really great day of celebration. I was thinking about how when she got to heaven, when she got to uh, her, uh, her, her final resting place, when she got there, that God healed her eyes, and that God healed her blindness. And I like to think, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I like to think that the first thing that she saw was the face of her Savior. And her eyes saw more clearly than they could ever have possibly seen here on earth. And that she saw Jesus face to face. Not because she was such a wonderful lady, which she was. Not because she was such a faithful Christian, which she was. But because of God's amazing grace. That amazing grace that saves a wretch like me and a wretch like you that finds us when we're lost and that opens our eyes when we're blind to help us see. Now, I think that there's times in our lives that we all suffer from blindness, different kinds of blindness. And we're going to talk about those today, specifically three different ways that I think that we're blind. I think that sometimes we are um, relationally blind. I think sometimes we are emotionally blind. And I think sometimes we are spiritually blind. And we're going to talk about all three of those areas today uh, as we look at the next miracle in the book of John. I, I don't know about you, but um, I, I try to be a very safe driver. 
I, I, I try to be very, very safe when I'm behind the wheel of a car. I realize I'm operating a, a one-ton vehicle uh, that uh, could really do a lot of damage to me. And um, so I, I try to be a very, very safe driver. So, uh, but there's times in my life when I'm going down the interstate. Maybe you're going down the interstate and you're doing 80 miles an hour. You are, not me, because I don't do that. But you're going 80 miles an hour down the interstate and you're just zipping right along and uh, you go to change lanes and you just start to go over. Now, let me just, a little PSA, a little public service announcement. There's a stick that comes out the side of your steering column. It's called a turn signal. And if you push it down, it indicates to the people in front of you and behind you that you are going to go left. If you push it up, it indicates to the people behind you and in front of you that you are going to go right. Left and right. Up and down. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's really a very nice safety feature in your car. Every one of your cars has them. Please use them. That's enough of that. So anyway, you're going down the interstate, you're doing 80 miles an hour, you go to change lanes, and all of a sudden you hear a burp, burp, or in northwest Indiana, you hear a because you realize that you just about cut somebody off or crashed into them because they were in your blind spot. Whenever I meet with a couple getting ready to, a couple's getting ready to get married, and we talk about marriage, and we talk about, uh, we do our premarital work, I give them some, some surveys to do, and some surveys to fill out and questionnaires to fill out. And I always talk to them about blind spots. In our relationships, we sometimes have blind spots, things that we can't see, that we're so enamored with the other person that we tend to overlook a lot of different things. And sometimes those things shouldn't be overlooked. Sometimes they really need to be brought to the forefront so you can deal with them before you enter into this relationship uh, till death do us part. And so I try to help them navigate the blind spots of their relationship and I believe that today's Bible story, today's miracle from the book of John, is going to help us see some blind spots in our lives, and it's going to help us uh, overcome these blind spots. So if you got your Bible, grab it, turn to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can use the one in the pew in front of you. If you're not very familiar with the New Testament, uh, it's on page 758. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. We'll read it in just a minute. I want to give you a little background on what was going on uh, in this story. Now, we've been looking at miracles in the book of John here on Sunday mornings uh, since about uh, since Easter Sunday, really. Uh, so we've been looking at different stories about how uh, different miracles that Jesus performed. And John wrote about seven miracles. And he wrote specifically about these seven miracles because he wanted to inspire faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. He wanted to inspire faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he lived a perfect sinless life as a human being, fully God, fully human. And that he died on a cross for our sins. And the reason that he did that was because the Old Testament sacrificial system requires that everything be cleansed with blood. That everything, that the only way to forgive sins is through blood. And in the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals. But the New Testament tells us that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away the sins of human beings. It's not effective for taking away our sins. Rather, uh, there had to be a perfect human sacrifice 
and one life for the lives of all humanity. And that's what Jesus did when he laid down his life. Again, he didn't, they didn't take his life from him. He laid it down willingly. And when he willingly went to the cross and he suffered and he died for our sins and he gave up his life for us, he was able to take away all of our sins. And if we will believe in Jesus, repent from our sins, confess our faith and be baptized, our sins will be washed away and we will be forgiven. We will have the promise of eternal life in heaven and nothing can take that away. That is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope of Jesus Christ that we have in him. And so Jesus uh, performs seven miracles that John records in his gospel. And we've looked at these over the last several weeks. We, looked at, we saw how Jesus changed water into wine, how he took ordinary water and turned it into extraordinary wine. We saw how Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed for 38 years, and he held, and he. I told him to get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And the man was able to walk. We saw how Jesus uh, healed a royal official's son from 20 miles away, 25 miles away, conquering time and space and just speaking the words. And, and this high fever that this royal official's son had that was going to kill him was cured instantly. He was healed instantly when Jesus spoke the words. We saw how Jesus fed a multitude with just five little loaves of bread and two fish. He fed over 5,000 people with just a small amount of food, able to multiply uh, what was given to him. And then two weeks ago, uh, we talked about how uh, uh, Jesus was walking on water that he walked on water in order to calm the fears of his disciples. His disciples were out on a boat, and a great big storm blew up out of nowhere, and Jesus walked on water out to them, and he said, Do not be afraid, it is me. Saying, I am. I am here, and you have nothing to be afraid of. We saw how Jesus is able to calm our fears. Well, today's miracle takes place in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and it's about how Jesus heals a man born blind. And I want to kind of set the stage for you just a little bit. Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, and they were there for a feast. Now, this feast was known as the Feast of Tabernacles. That's a word we don't use very much, tabernacles. Uh, it sounds like barnacles. It has nothing to do with barnacles. It, Tabernacles was a feast that they had in Jerusalem every year, one of the three major feasts. There was Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, or Feast of Booths, was to celebrate, uh, the, uh, to remember how God provided for his people when they wandered in the wilderness in the book of Exodus, after they uh, were uh, released from slavery in Egypt. If you don't know the story of Moses and, and, and uh, the, the story of how the children of Israel were uh, slaves in Egypt, basically for 400 years, the Israelites were captive in Egypt. They were slaves. Uh, Pharaoh didn't want to let them go. Moses came and said, let my people go. Sorry, it's a very poor Charlton Heston imitation. I match. Oh, that's what that was? That's what that would let my people go for my coat. Never mind. Um, sorry, I apologize. Um, that was horrible. Um, so Moses says, let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh says, no, 10 plagues come. God uh, sends 10 plagues and Pharaoh lets the people go. They go out, they're, want, they're in the wilderness. They're on their way to the promised land. They're going to Israel. We're on the way. Along the way, the people start complaining and griping uh, and moaning about what's going on and, and how they have no food. And God provides food, manna, quail, all this stuff. And he takes care of them. 
And they get to the edge of the promised land. They send in 12 spies. Ten were bad, two were good. And so uh, they, uh, they said, the 10 bad spies say, nope, can't do it. Can't conquer the people. Too many, uh, too big. Uh, it's, it's terrible. The other two spies, the good spies, say, no, we can do it. God is on our side. We can do anything. We need to, don't be afraid of them. And uh, they listen to the 10 spies. They don't go into the promised land. Instead, until that entire generation dies off, they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. For 40 years, they wander in the wilderness. Their clothes didn't wear out. Uh, they were able to worship. Uh, God watched over them. He protected them. And he fed them. He provided for them. So the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths uh, or the Feast of Ingathering was a feast to remember how God provided for his people. And for seven days, they would build these little shelters. They'd build these little tents in Israel, uh, in Jerusalem, and they would sleep under these little, sleep in these little tents for seven days to remember how the Israelites slept in tents and they lived in tents in the wilderness as they wandered. And they remembered how God provided for them. So Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what they're there for. Now, Jesus has a run-in with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees uh, and the leaders, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, were, they were very frustrated with him, and they were very angry with him. And he was doing things that they did not approve of, healing people on the Sabbath and things like that, stuff that they thought was against the law. And so they're very frustrated with Jesus. In fact, they accuse him of being demon-possessed. He's possessed by a demon. Could you imagine? That he's doing these things, uh, and he's possessed by a demon. And Jesus says, no, I'm not possessed by a demon. Uh, in fact, he says, your father Abraham longed for this day when I would be here. In fact, he saw me, and I saw him. And the, the, uh, the, the, the Pharisees said to him, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old. How could you possibly have seen Abraham? And then Jesus says this. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees and religious leaders pick up stones, and they are going to stone Jesus to death. They are going to throw rocks at him until he dies. Why? Because they said that he was committing blasphemy. That he, when he said, I am, he was claiming the personal name of God for himself. He was saying, I am God. And in their minds, there is nothing worse than you can do than to blaspheme God by claiming to be God. Only God is God. First commandment says so. No other gods before me. There is no other God. I am God. No other gods. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's the Hebrew Shema. They recite it every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's one God. And here you got Jesus claiming to be I am. you got Jesus claiming to be God. They pick up stones. They're going to throw him to death, stone him to death, and... Jesus slips away, and he hides among, uh, he hides in the temple. And while him and his disciples are slipping away, while they are going away, and, and the, uh, the, the uh, Pharisees couldn't find him, and so he kind of goes away because he knew his time had not yet come. His time had not come to die. That was coming later. And so he slips away, and while they're slipping away, they come across a man born blind, a man begging who was born blind. And let's pick up the story in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, it was believed in those days that physical afflictions were a direct result of sin. 
In fact, there were three causes of physical affliction when it came to sin. The first was Adam's sin, the original sin. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, that sin uh, was a direct cause of all suffering in the world. And in a way, that's right. In a way, that's absolutely correct. When Adam sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden, they broke the world. Could you imagine? I, I get upset when I break a dish. I couldn't imagine breaking the whole world. And that's what Adam and Eve did. They broke the world. And nothing was the same ever since until Jesus returns. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to restore everything. He's going to make all things new. He's going to restore the beauty of creation. He's going to restore our relationship to God. He's going to fix the brokenness. He's going to fix our broken bodies. He's going to fix our broken world. So the first way that physical affliction can come by sin is through Adam's sin. The second way is by the sin of your parents. That if your parents sinned in such a way, perhaps sexual immorality, premarital sex, that kind of a thing, if your parents sinned, it might cause you to be blind from birth or have some other physical affliction from birth. The third way that they thought that physical afflictions were caused by sin was if you sinned in the womb. I have no idea how that happens. Kick mom a little too hard in the ribs, maybe? I, I don't know, all right? But in the womb, that they believed that somehow he sinned, and so therefore he was uh, afflicted with blindness from birth. Now, Jesus turns this completely upside down when he says in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. Now, this doesn't mean that they never sinned in their lives. It didn't mean that they were sinless. It just means that their sin did not cause this blindness. But this happened, Jesus says, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, don't get me wrong here. Don't get God wrong. It, God did not cause this man to be blind for this moment in his life. His blindness was just part of the broken world in which we live. And so Jesus, though, is going to take advantage of this opportunity. He is going to take advantage of this chance that he has to bring the power of God into the life of this blind man. And that's exactly what he's going to do. He's going to bring the power of God into this man's life. And that's what he says. The work of God might be displayed in his life. Verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now one of the things that the Old Testament tells us about the Messiah is that the Messiah, when he came, would open the eyes of the blind. I have three passages I want to read you from uh, the book of Isaiah. And these all uh, are prophecies about the Messiah. Isaiah 29, 17 through 19 says, In a very short time will not Lebanon be turned into a fertile field, and the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame, 
the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And finally, Isaiah 42, 5 through 7. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So three times in Isaiah's prophecy is it remarked that the, the Messiah would open the eyes of the blind. And that is what Jesus came to do. And that is what he does for this man. This man was begging in the temple. And he had been blind since birth. He had never seen anything. And Jesus comes across this man. And he heals his blindness. He spits on the ground and makes a little bit of clay with the mud. And then he puts it on his eyes, and he tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the pool of Siloam, the, John tells us that that name means sent, which is very interesting because he's got this wordplay going on about how Jesus says that I must do the work of him who sent me. And then he sends this man to the pool called sent. It's just kind of neat how he, he puts those two concepts together, that I have been sent. And the, Isaiah tells us that the, one of the things the Messiah was sent to do was open the eyes of the blind. And that's exactly, excuse me, that's exactly what he does. He opens the eyes of this blind man. He tells him to go to this pool, Pool of Siloam. And the Pool of Siloam was a, a freshwater pool. They had dug a tunnel underneath the city out to a freshwater source. And that water flowed into the city so that if the city was ever under siege, they would have fresh water. And fresh water always flowed into the city. So he goes to this freshwater pool and he washes out his eyes and then he can see. For the first time in his life, he can see. I read a story once about a man who, uh, had, who had been born blind and he uh, was able to undergo an operation. And doctors were able to restore, were able to give him sight. And so he, he remarked that when the first time he opened his eyes, he says, I never realized how yellow yellow was. I love that. That's great. And he said, and red, my goodness, red. Things that we take for granted every single day. Things that we take for granted in, with our eyes. And, and I don't know how your eyes are. I have 20-20 vision. God has blessed me. Even at age 41, I still have 20-20 vision. I don't know. How many of you wear glasses or some kind of corrective lenses? That's quite a few. That's a lot of y'all wearing glasses. or I have glasses. When I was in high school, I was diagnosed with a slight astigmatism. And so I said, I wanted glasses. And basically the reason I wanted them is because they make me look smart. I know, of all the dumb reasons to have glasses, right, is they make me look smart. Hey, I got you know, to fool somebody sometime. So um, this man didn't need corrective lenses. He didn't need glasses. Jesus healed him from his blindness. And he could see. For the first time in his life, he could really, really see. His eyes were opened. And he could see. Sometimes I think that blindness is not just physical. I think there's times in our lives when we find out that we are figuratively blind. And like I said, there are three ways that I think that we are blind figuratively in our lives the the first way that we are blind is we are relationally blind we need jesus to open our eyes relationally 
And by that, I mean that we need to forgive. Sometimes we are blinded by hurt and we are blinded by pain. Pain that other people have inflicted upon us. We are blind by the hurt that other people have caused and we don't want to forgive. And so we are blind relationally. We are blind to the fact that we need to forgive others. And maybe, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe your spouse betrayed you in some way and you just, you, you just don't want to forgive. You want, you're holding on to that bitterness. You're holding on to that resentment and you don't want to forgive. Or, or maybe it's your parents. Maybe your parents, you feel like they neglected you or they feel like or, or they abused you in some way and you just you don't want to let that go and you, you can't forgive. You just can't forgive your folks. And it's hard. Or, or maybe it's a friend who stabbed you in the back or a friend who is gossiping about you, a friend who is spreading lies about you, some friend they are. And so you, you feel this weight of bitterness upon you. You feel the blindness of resentment in your life and you just can't forgive. You need to go to Jesus for some mud. See, Jesus doesn't care why you're blind. He just wants to help you see. Jesus doesn't care why you're blind. He just wants to help you see. And so in your relationships where you have these, this situation of, of blindness and you're blinded by resentment and you're blinded by unforgiveness, then you know that it's time to forgive. And I think one of the best ways that we can forgive other people is, and the way that we do that is to remember how we've been forgiven. That you and I, we who believe in Jesus, you and me, we have been forgiven much. Every sin we've ever committed, everything that we've ever done has been washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And because we have been forgiven much, we need to be forgivers of much. And I know it's hard. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, oh, no, it's easy. Just let it go. You know, have a frozen moment and let it go. I'm not going to tell you that because that's not how it works. Forgiveness is hard. Bitterness is easy. Resentment is easy. It's easy to hold on to that pain. You know, but here's the thing. Your eyes are the ones that are blinded. Your eyes are the ones that, are, that can't see. They're fine. That person that you can't forgive, whether it's your parents, whether it's your, your, your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's a friend or a coworker, whoever you can't forgive, and you just say, I can't forgive that person, they're fine. They're bebopping through life like nothing ever happened. And you are sitting there going, I can't stand, you stay up at night, and I can't stand that person, I just, I can't do this, and I can't forgive, I just can't. And, and they're, they're sleeping soundly, because they don't even know. For your own sake, you've got to forgive. For your sake, you've got to forgive. And I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. But remember, you have been forgiven much. God has forgiven you everything. And so maybe it's time to pray. Pray that God would open your eyes relationally so that you can see the forgiveness that he's given you and you can give that forgiveness to someone else. The second way that we are blind, uh, that we need our eyes open, is we need, to, we need Jesus to open your eyes emotionally. We need Jesus to open your eyes emotionally. And I think about this uh, in a way that sometimes... Our emotional blindness is caused by our own selfishness. We are hurting people and don't even realize that we're doing it. We, are, we can be selfish, self-centered people, right? No, I can. I'm pretty good at it. I've been doing it for a long time. 
I've gotten pretty good. I'm, I'm a professional, selfish person. I feel like it sometimes. And so sometimes we hurt people around us and we don't even realize that we're doing it. Maybe you're the dad who just doesn't have time for his family because you're searching for significance and so you work your fingers to the bone and you're always at work because you need that, that significance in your life. You need to feel important. So you work all the time and all the time and you're neglecting your family. Or, or maybe you're the, um, maybe you're the, uh, the kid who just, you know, it's like it's all about me and, and I don't care who I hurt. I don't care what kind of pain I give. And maybe you're, you're, you're being a jerk to your friends at school. Or maybe you're cutting down everybody else in, in class. And, and, you're, and you're telling lies about people at your school. And, and it's time to stop. Because you, you're trying to make yourself feel better by treating other people poorly. That's selfish. Or maybe you're uh, maybe you're dealing with other kinds of issues in your life that, that are causing you to be emotionally blind through selfishness. And you just want to, you're just thinking about yourself all the time. And, and we need to go to Jesus for some mud. We need him to open our eyes so that we can see emotionally the hurt that we're causing to other people and be able to go to them and say, will you forgive me for what I've done? To take that step of asking for forgiveness, and that's not easy either. The last way that I think we're blind is when we're spiritually blind. And, and this is when we've been, when we feel like we can't trust God, or we feel like God has hurt us in some way. We feel like we can't trust Him, we can't go to Him, and we feel like God is distant. And we're blind to the reality that He truly loves us and cares for us that he does provide for us, and that he does watch over us. And, and, and so maybe you're at the point in your life where you just, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't do the church thing anymore. I can't do the God thing anymore. I'm just too hurt. It's time to go to Jesus for some mud and say, God, open my eyes. Jesus, open my eyes and help me to see. Help me to see your goodness. Help me to see your love. Help me to see your mercy. Help me to see your forgiveness. Help me to see see clearly I said it's not easy but seeing is a lot uh, is seeing is what we need we need our eyes opened if your eyes have ever been closed if your eyes have ever been darkened if you have a, a hard time seeing you know that Looking through cloudy eyes or through darkened eyes is very difficult. You need to go to Jesus for the mud that can open your eyes to see what he has for you, to see that you need to forgive, to see that you need to stop being selfish, to see that you, start need, that you need to start trusting God again. And that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, he will open your eyes to a reality that you've never known. So open your eyes. Go to Jesus for the mud. And, and know that it, it's not necessarily the mud that can open your eyes. It's not necessarily the spit that can open your eyes. It's not necessarily the water that can open your eyes. But it's, it's your faithfulness. It is your obedience. And it is your faith in Christ that will open your eyes. You see, he could have said to the blind man, open your eyes. And he would have seen right at that very moment. He could have said to the blind man, here, I'm going to put some mud on your eyes, and I'm going to wipe it away, and you'll be able to see just fine. 
But he tells him no. He leaves the mud on his eyes and he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he sends him to the pool. And right now, God is sending you to the pool. Jesus is sending you to the pool. You've got mud on your eyes and he wants to open your eyes. Will you obey him? Will you go and seek the healing? Will you go and seek the miracle? Will you go and obey him for the miracle he wants to do in your life? Because he can and he will open your eyes so that you can see. Lord God, I want to thank you for your word and for this story of how Jesus opened this blind man's eyes. And I pray that Jesus would open our eyes so that we can see clearly so that we can see all that you have for us, so that we can see how we need to forgive and how we need to be forgiven, so that we can see how selfish we've been, so that we can see how little we trust. Help us, Father God, to put our faith in Jesus, to obey and to be faithful to him. God, we praise you today for the eyes that you have opened, for the grace by which you open our eyes. Pray that you will forgive us when we do not forgive and forgive us when we do not love. Forgive us when we are filled with shame and guilt and fear and doubt. And God, give us eyes to see. We pray these things in the name of the one who opens eyes, Jesus Christ, our Savior.